Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Graham, for leading us in worship. And tech team, worship team, everyone is making this all happen. Uh, yeah. Well, good morning, friends, family. My name is Andres, and like Shell said, I am the worship leader here at Pilgrim, have been for the past two years. And every now and then I get the, the opportunity, the privilege of preaching and share the word with you. And if you've ever heard me preach before, you probably know the drill by now. The Holy Spirit never or rarely speaks to me for more than 30 minutes. So bear with me. I will do my best to take us on this journey to higher ground and hopefully pull off a safe and smooth landing. Um, agree with me in prayer one more time before we, we begin into, we jump into this time of teaching. Lord, we, we come before you this morning. Some of us are tired, some of us may be burnt out. Some of us may be excited and ready to go and take the summer by storm. Whatever the case, Lord, we come as we are, knowing and believing that when we come to you, we are embraced and we are welcome. We hear your calling, Lord. And although oftentimes we don't know how to respond, we come before you this morning and we pray, Holy Spirit, open up our hearts. Give us ears to hear your words. Give us eyes to see the beauty of Christ. Give us hands to work in your kingdom. Let us be present and respond to this invitation to participate in the reconciling work of Jesus, who is reconciling the world to himself through Christ and making all things new. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, yeah, uh, this is the third message, the third installment in our series, um, Peace with Others. And the title of the message today is Go Higher. Um, the subtitle is Glorifying God in Conflict. The alternate title for this message is Going to Higher Ground, which is uh, grabbed from the language of our or the material that we're using and speaks to our call as Christians to rise up to the challenge, to respond in a kingdom way when, when we find ourselves in a situation of conflict. The third alternate title for this message is, It's Over Anakin, I Have the High Ground. And it's from that scene in Star Wars, from the Revenge of the Sith, when Anakin and Obi-Wan Kenobi are fighting, and then Obi-Wan uses a high ground to, you know, chop Anakin in half. Um, doesn't really serve my point, probably not the best way to handle conflict because Anakin pretty much becomes Darth Vader and disrupts the peace of the galaxy for like 30 years. There's a sermon in there. I know there's something there, I just don't, didn't have the time to explore it. Anyways, the sermon today will be a bit different. Um, it'll be more practical, topical, um, because yeah, this Sunday we are jumping back into our Peace with Others series. Uh, we are using the Resolving Everyday Conflict workbook our study book from the Peacemaker Ministries, which most of you should have or will be getting soon. We are using this resource for home churches effective now. So if you don't have that, please reach out. And if you, you're not in a home church, join a home church. Um, what we do on Sunday matters. We believe that, you know, we care about our Sunday gatherings. I care about our Sunday gatherings a lot. But home churches are the place where we get to experience real community, real growth. We get to do the stuff, right? Um, on Sunday, we sing, read, talk about things, we say the creeds, we pray the prayers. But on home churches, we get to do all this stuff. So please reach out if you're not a part of one. We'd love to have you. All right, so this morning, we are going to talk about conflict. And I just want to acknowledge firsthand that talking about conflict is hard and can be uncomfortable for some of us. 
even as Christians, or should I say, especially as Christians, talking about conflict is hard. Um, Brad Jersak said that for Christians, the F word is actually forgiveness, which I find kind of hilarious and sadly true. Um, but it's not easy to forgive. It's not easy to just, you know, be like Christ or do what Jesus would do when others hurt us or treat us in ways that do not reflect the kingdom of Christ. And yet something happens when we open the door for the Spirit to create space for reconciliation in the midst of our conflict. And this morning, I want to share a few thoughts and talk about conflict. And in particular, we're going to talk about how we can glorify God in conflict, which is the first G of how conflicts in your life can be used to glorify God. So the first G, um, it's what we're going to talk about today. Um, Throughout this series, we are going to explore four Gs. There's no fifth G, so no need to worry about getting hacked by the Russians. That was a really bad joke. I did not write that one down. Um, So just a quick recap. In dealing well with conflict, there are four Gs. First, glorify God, uh, which is what we're going to talk about today, 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, Second one is get the log out of your eye. Third one is gently restore. And the fourth is go and be reconciled. And this morning, again, we're going to focus on the first G, glorifying God in conflict. The scripture today is taken from 1 Corinthians 10, 31. It's a very, very short verse, but if you have your Bible and want to follow me, uh, I'm reading from the CEB. Uh, Scripture says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you should do it all for God's glory. I'm going to read that again. So whether you eat or drink or whatever it is you do, you should do it all for God's glory. Now, when I was in seminary, we had this verse. Um, You know, we would take turns washing or doing the dishes for everyone in the seminary, and that verse was stuck right in front of the dishwasher, like the sink. You know, it was really annoying. Um, and it's, I think it's a verse that usually we take out of context a lot, but there's something about it that speaks to us uh, on how we deal with conflict. I grew up in an environment where we were sort of hardwired to avoid conflict at all costs. You know, conflict is bad. Christians don't fight. And whenever we have a problem with someone, you just bury that as deep as you can. You put it in a box you throw away the key, and if it doesn't work for you, then you just change churches. Um, so the first time that I heard that we could glorify God through conflict, I honestly did not get it. Like, it came as a shock. How can we glorify God through conflict? What does that even mean? Does that mean that people just wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I feel like glorifying God today. I think I'm going to find myself some good old conflict. Just get deep into a toxic situation. Praise the Lord. No, that's not the way it works. Uh, We probably shouldn't try to get ourselves into conflict. But, you know, if you think about it, you probably don't have to try, I mean. Um, It'll happen sooner than later. Conflict is a very normal part of life. Um, If you've ever been involved in group sports, for example, no matter how much you like your teammates, give it a few games in the season. I'm pretty sure you'll find yourself in a tense situation. Um, Same thing for any partnership, work, church. Etc. You spend a good amount of hours with someone, and you'll find a way to get under each other's skin. Um, and usually it's the smallest sparks that can light the entire forest, right? Uh, in a split second, we can go from zero to 100, like, real quick. And 
I can give you a thousand small, silly examples of how things, you know, set us off. You know, like asking what's for dinner before saying hi or how was your day. That'll get you there. Um, I remember one time I lost it with my brother because he was wearing my jeans. And it was, it was an accident. They were in his drawer. Like my mom put them in his drawer by accident. And he, he just thought like, oh, nice, new jeans. And he was wearing them. And I saw him. And man, I let him have it. Like I did not handle that well. I'm sorry. If you're watching this, and I'm really sorry, man. I love you. Um, <laughs> The thing is, when we come into conflict, when conflict shows up, whether it's by something that's really silly and dumb or something really serious that's done to us or towards us, how do we respond? Do we respond in a way that fans the flame of conflict? Or do we respond in ways that extinguish the fire and open space for healing and kingdom peacemaking? And in particular, in our church context, in our church family, when conflict shows up, how should we respond? What is the kingdom way, the Jesus way of dealing with awkward, complicated, hurtful situations in our midst? Now, let me offer a more serious example of conflict in our church context, and a church context similar to ours to illustrate my point. This is a real story taken from, taken from David Fitch's um, book, Seven Practices for the Church on Mission. The names have been changed, and some of you are probably familiar with this story, but it'll be a good reminder. The story goes like this. One time, a newly widowed woman, Emily, in our church, was overburdened with taking care of her two children, homeschooling them, while also holding down a job. Sylvia, on the other hand, was a social worker, and she offered to help. She sacrificially gave many hours to working with Emily's children. One of the children, according to Sylvia, had special needs. And she believed that Emily was not taking care of the children's educational needs. And after a few discussions with Emily about this, Emily asked Sylvia not to visit her children anymore. Sylvia, in a huff, reported Emily to the Department of Children and Family Services, charging Emily with neglect of her children. The resulting breach of trust could not have been worse. When the pastor asked them to come together to mutually submit to Christ, they were refused. Emily told the pastors to get Sylvia in line, and Sylvia said that it was her professional duty to report Emily to the authorities. She was the expert, and there was no need for further discussion. Two more attempts were made to bring them together, to talk about the kingdom and the way that God works through his presence coming into the spaces of conflict. Nonetheless, both Sylvia and Emily refused to give up the authority of their positions as parents and social service professionals. They both left the church, and our church body was poorer because of it. I'm going to repeat that last line. They both left the church, and our church body was poorer because of it. Now, we all have sets of values that we live by, whether it's integrity, love, respect, honesty, you name it. The thing is, when these values are put to the test, when we find ourselves in a situation of conflict, a situation that calls us to higher ground, how do we seek to live out these values in a way that harvests peace? And how do we create space for the reconciliation of Christ to be a reality in our midst, in our personal relationships, in our family dynamics, in our work environments, in our church community? James, on chapter 3, verse 18, talks about peacemakers who sow in peace and who reap a harvest of righteousness. Scripture says, those who make peace sow the seeds of justice by their peaceful acts. 
So how do we bring about a different harvest in our relationships? How do we open the door for healing and shake away bitterness, envy, and strife? How do we bring our church back to life, reimagine our marriages, build relationships that are open and honest instead of shallow and close to others? So brothers and sisters, as Christians, we are called to higher ground, to glorify God in everything that we do. But the problem, the problem that we have is that most of the time we fail to take what we believe in church on Sundays and live it out for the rest of the week. You know, we sing the songs, we pray the prayers, we, we say the confessions. But when it comes to doing the stuff, many of us fall short. And I am the first of the list, a proud member of the Saint and Sinners in Process Club. We meet every Tuesday. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you know, we fail to bridge the gap between Sunday and Monday. And this morning I want to suggest or bring forth a prayer for a different harvest. So the question today is, how do we glorify God in conflict? N.T. Wright refers to the verse we read today on 1 Corinthians 10.31 on his series of the Bible for everyone. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you should do it for God's glory. N.T. Wright says, this is a great conclusion that sums up everything that a Christian needs to know about living a holy life before the watching world. This is a great conclusion of everything a Christian should know about living a holy life before the ever-watching church, I mean world. Nevertheless, Wright continues and says, easier said than done, right? That's probably what Paul got. So how do we harvest peace? And here's the thing. Paul wants the church in Corinth to understand something. And I'm not going to get into the whole context of food offers to idols and such and such today. I'm happy to unpack that on our home churches. But here's the thing. Paul wants to make it clear that in order to show God honor, in order to bring him glory in our day-to-day -day lives, we need to bridge that gap from Sunday to Monday. Christianity is not about one hour on Sunday morning or an hour 15 if we're running, you know, crazy here at Pilgrim. Christianity is about encountering Jesus in our day-to-day -day life, especially, particularly in the way we deal with personal conflict. We cannot ignore our family of origin in this. We can't simply pray the conflict away. We cannot just move every time we have an argument with someone. We need to deal with this stuff. And we need to do it in a kingdom way. We need to learn to be with God daily in relationship and to pray that we may begin to change direction as saints and sinners in process. Acknowledging our brokenness but moving forward and growing and maturing and allowing Christ to shape us in the way of peace. Now the bad news in all of this, and I hope this doesn't come as a surprise for anyone, but... The thing is that the way that you and I deal with conflict needs to change. And change takes time. Right? You don't just, this is not something that you just get after a one sermon or a series of sermon or after dealing with the questions in home church um, as good as they are. We need to put in the work. We need to do the hours. We need to walk in this journey of growth and to do it together. And that's hard. That's difficult. In most conflicted movements, we tend to ignore God. When things are real, we tend to look outwards instead of upwards. 
We, we focus on the next assignment, the task, the activity, or other people in the midst of conflict, just like how we live a life without God. You know, in many ways, we dabble with practical atheism. We say we believe that stuff, but in our day-to-day, we don't really engage with it that much. And we lose sight of the fingerprints of God in us, of the beauty of Christ that dwells in the church, and the voice of the Spirit that is calling us to each other. Now, the good news is that whatever we face, no matter how awkward the situation, no matter how big the conflict or damage the relationship may be, Jesus can bring out transforming glory, divine light that transcends all light and changes darkness and causes it to flee. When we look to Christ, when we enter into that gracious light, we begin to experience new life. And then growth happens. And I do want to say that there are situations of conflict where people are in a really bad place and where they're hurting in ways that we need to break out from and just cut. And there's a place for that in the church. And yet not everything falls into that category. There are many things that we should and are able to deal with if we submit to Christ mutually and open the door for peace and open up our hearts for the peace of Christ to dwell. So let me move on to my next point. Um, Irenaeus, second century early church father, who is on my top three church fathers, you know, Sometimes I feel like I deal with church fathers like Pokemon. It's like you need to catch them all, you know. You just need to read them all. Irenaeus said the following words. He said, the glory of God is man fully alive. Now, John Baer once said that if the church fathers were a football team, and by football, I mean the real one, soccer. Not a, not, that's not out for debate. That's just a fact. You know, that's dogma here at Pilgrim. If the early church fathers were a soccer team, Irenaeus would be the central defender, you know, the captain of the defense. Um, basically, in soccer, the central defender is, is the engine of the whole thing. You know, if that guy gets a red card, we might as well just all go home, like cut our losses, you know. Um, getting sidetracked here, but yeah. Central defender of the early church said, the glory of God is man fully alive. Now, let me try to unpack, um, unpack this a bit. Um, as we move to the more practical application part of this message. There are certain things that work against our humanity. There are things in life that kill human flourishing and essentially dehumanize us. And I believe that when we let conflict control our lives, control our decisions, our emotions, our reactions, we are, in a very real way, becoming less human no matter how human these feelings may seem to be. If we hold Christ to the standard of what a human being is supposed to be, Christ who is presented in the gospel narrative as the true human being, who came not only to save us from our sins, but also to teach us how to be humans and to save us in that process as we walk with our King. If we hold ourselves to that standard, we realize that human beings that are fully alive are only alive when they allow the light of Christ to fully shine in and through us. You see, the problem is that we tend to think of the gospel 
as only the key to eternal life. And we fail to understand that the gospel can transform every area of our daily lives. By the power, that the power of Jesus can heal our relationship, that the voice of the Spirit can speak louder than our anger, that the arms of the Father reach farther and wider than the roots of pain and suffering. Liberation theologian Gustavo Gutierrez would say, if the gospel is not infiltrating every area of our lives, then it's not the gospel. It's something else. It needs to reach, it needs to touch every part of our human interactions and relationship. Otherwise, we, are, we believe in something else. We are pledging allegiance to something else. The real gospel of Jesus will break forth no matter what boxes or places we put in front. It'll just ravish everything. It'll go through everything. It'll you know, walk into every room. Colossians 1.21 says that once we were alienated from God, once we were enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior, but now... We have been reconciled by Christ's physical body through his death so that we may be presented without blemish and free from accusation. Once we were enemies, once we were in conflict with God, with each other, but now through the work of Christ, through the salvific work of the cross, and through the confirmation of the Spirit, we get another chance. The door opens and we find this new way to be human through the life of Christ. That's more or less what I think Irenaeus is on about when he says that the glory of God is a human being fully alive. When we work for peace, when we forgive, when we hold on, you know, hang in there and work for reconciliation, no matter how hard and awkward and difficult it gets, when we go head on into conflict but wear compassion on our chests because we understand that behind the offense Behind the hurt is a person who bears the image of Christ. When we imitate Jesus, we become truly human. We become truly alive, fully alive. We can't glorify God when we, laugh, when we let conflict control us instead of stewarding our conflict for God's glory. But until our hearts and spirits are able to grasp, to understand this truth, until we are able to hold how wide, how long, how high, and how deep the love of Christ is for us, for the offended and for the offender, because it works both ways. Until we buy into this, oh, can I hate that language, buy, until we commit our lives to this truth, that the love of God is stronger than our, than our brokenness and sin and conflict, we will fail to become human beings that are fully alive. Friends, we are on a journey, and I believe that Christ is walking with us and will lead us all the way as he teaches us how to walk in the way of peace, how to love each other and give ourselves for each other as he gave himself for us. But I also believe that this will take time. And here at Pilgrim, we are on a journey that, you know, it's, it's looking good, and I'm really excited to see how things are going to look when we, once we can gather again and, you know, see each other's faces and blow on each other's faces and, and all that stuff. <laughs> too far, too far. Let's not go there. Uh, but in the meantime, <laughs> let me offer some practical steps to get there. Um, so as we land the plane, there are four things that according to the Bible and Jesus' life and teachings, um, can lead us to a place of reconciliation. 
four practical steps that, I will, that we will unpack on home churches more deeply, but I'm just going to introduce right now. So number one, when you find yourself in a situation of conflict, the first thing that we can do is trust in God. Believe that the good news of the gospel are actually as good as they sound. Rely on God to give you grace to depend on him instead of relying on your own ideas and abilities to respond to people who oppose you. Even if, and especially if, it goes against what you feel like doing. Become an active worker of the upside-down kingdom and trust in the one who has called you. Hold on tightly to the liberating promises of the good news. Jesus forgave your sins and forgives your sins, so confess them freely. Believe that in the pressure of conflict, he is helping us grow and learn to cooperate with him and with one another. Yes, we are all a work in progress, but Philippians 1.6 promises that he will finish what he started. And we walk in that hope. As you trust in the Lord in these maybe unnatural ways, people will have an opportunity to see that God is real and praise him for the work in our lives. Number two, obey God and serve others. When we are consistent in obeying God and honoring him, we show by our lives that his ways are good and wise and dependable. Our obedience speaks into the worthiness of Christ and the deepest love and devotion that we find through communion with the Spirit. Jesus tells us that by doing what he did, by learning his ways, by obeying his commands, we will show that he is worthy of our first love. Serving in the midst of conflict is a big deal because conflict usually paralyzes us. But the advice here is, don't sit down just yet. If the pressures of conflict are pushing you down, rise up to the challenge. Reach for higher ground. Carry the burden of your brother. Share the load of your sister. Teach others by example. Be a truth teller and serve by bringing correction and rebuke, but do it in a private way, way while wearing compassion on your chest in a way that makes the church richer, not poorer. Conflict is an opportunity to turn what the devil intends for evil and bring about good. Fyodor Dostoevsky said, God and the devil are fighting, and the battlefield is the heart of man. When you find yourself in a situation of conflict, you can either act like the devil, act like the accuser, or you can imitate Christ. Which brings us to our third point. Imitate Christ. Grow in Christ-likeness. Now, when the believers in Ephesians were struggling in conflict, the apostle said, follow God's example. Sorry, I clicked on something and my whole thing moved. <laughs> he said, follow the example of God. As dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, as an offering and sacrifice to God. To imitate Jesus in conflict is the best way. It's the surest path to restoring peace and unity with those who oppose us. And it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not a formula. It's not as if you tick all the four boxes of Jesus, the four steps of Jesus, the 32 ways to be like Jesus, you're going to nail the conflict. It doesn't work like that. It's when we submit 
to the spirit of the living Christ who works in us, walks among us, and leads us in our day-to-day lives, something happens. It may look different in different environments. It may act in different times. But when we allow ourselves to walk in the way of Christ, it opens the door to peace because we've sing, we sing a lot about Christ being our king of glory, but this is a time where we get to know him as our prince of peace, which is something that Rich Millions would say a lot. To imitate Jesus in conflict is the surest path to peace. We need to live out the gospel through humility, mercy, forgiveness, and love. And when we do this, we will surprise the world and give concrete evidence of the presence of Jesus and his power in our lives. Long are the days where we were trying to prove the historical Christ to use this data and emphasis and numbers. It is time to prove that Christ is alive by the way that we love each other and forgive each other and treat each other in the church. That should be the living evidence of Christ in our midst. When we put our faith in Jesus, he begins to change us. He begins to change those around us. So it's time to unlearn and relearn how to behave in uncomfortable situation, situations. Learn to become human. Open yourself up to Christ and let his light shine forth and inhabit you as you become more Christ-like. And draw on his grace to develop new attitudes and habits when we find ourselves in these positions of conflict. Something that's important to stress is conflict is not the enemy. Conflict is an opportunity to grow. And as we grow, we can acknowledge God. And that's the fourth and final. You made it this far. Fourth and final, acknowledge God. As God gives you grace to respond in new and unusual ways that reflect the beauty of the kingdom and the love of Christ, others will notice. People will say, what's wrong with you? Something changed. Something's going on. And this is a perfect example to not be, a perfect opportunity to not be silent and let them give us all the credit. But let our words glorify God. Let people know that it is Christ in us who is doing this work. When we are used to turn enemies into friends, let us point to Christ. Let us be a mirror that shines his glory. And let us take full advantage of the kingdom windows that the Holy Spirit is opening. Every conflict is an opportunity to show what we really believe about God. To really back up your statement of faith. You know, you can subscribe to all the things in the church's um, beliefs or part where we say all the, the creed. But in conflict is when we get the chance to put that to the test and say, this is what I actually believe, believe in. These are the standards of my faith. And finally, don't worry about the results. It's not about that. Kingdom peacemaking, it's more about pleasing God than getting a particular result. It's more about engaging with Christ and walking in that journey rather than just getting from A to B. So final word. If we don't glorify God when we are in conflict, we will glorify someone or something else. By our actions, we will show the type of God that we worship, the type of self that we are, and the type of baggage that we carry. Chances are that many of us will find ourselves in situations of conflict this week. So here are a few helpful questions. How can I please and honor God in this situation? How can I lift up Jesus, showing that he is alive in me 
and is changing me constantly. And finally, pleasing the heart of the Father sets the stage for effective peacemaking. The glory of God revealed in our humanity, in you and me, is necessary, not suggested, necessary for biblical peacemaking. And I'll invite the worship team to come up as we come to a close. This morning we began by singing, they'll know we are Christians by our love. And the thing is, beloved, there is no plan B. The world will not know that we are Christians in any other way. Our witness to the world will never be our strength or our numbers or the quality of our live streams or the beautiful design of our church buildings. The way that we bear witness to the love of Christ is always by our love, by the way that we love each other, that we forgive each other, the way that we respond in situations of conflict. God is not most glorified when we are satisfied in him but hate each other. God is glorified when we forgive each other, when we embrace each other, when we love each other, even in situations of conflict. So may we be faithful witnesses to that love. And may we be encouraged. I want to say just take heart when we find ourselves in these situations. David Fitch said that when we encounter disagreements and conflict in our churches, it is because we are engaging challenging places with the gospel. And the churches and missions, and I would add, in revitalizing, should welcome disagreements and conflict as signs that God is moving and that he comes to be present among us. These are signs of his faithful presence in our midst. So may we become aware of his presence and become peacemakers for the sake of his kingdom. Pray with me as we prepare our hearts to go out in song. Lord, we, we come as we are. We acknowledge that we have not done our best when dealing with awkward and hurtful and difficult situations in our families, in our work environments, in our church communities. And Lord, we come to this place to just say that we need you. We can't do this without you. We hear your voice, Lord, calling us, and we want to respond. So Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. Give us the courage to respond and to become that faithful witness of your love to the world. In your name, let us respond to the voice of Jesus as the worship team leads us in this song.